Our reading is taken from Acts 11 and Acts 13. Acts 11, starting at verse 19. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Now from chapter 13, verse 1. In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Good morning, everyone. We're speaking, uh, we're looking this morning at the challenge of Mission Possible. And I want to start by just asking, what's, if I, when you mention the word mission or the word missionary, what is the image that comes immediately to your mind? Is it this first picture? Pith helmets? Attentive natives standing around? Or is it the second caricature? If you can read what it's saying there. Always serious, never as fun, no sense of humor. These are caricatures from a bygone age. I'm not sure that they ever really existed, but certainly if this is your image of mission, it is wrong. You need to put it out of your mind. And as we look at these passages from Acts, I'd like us to just go through four main points. The first one, what is mission all about? Secondly, why is it still an integral part of Christian living? What did it look like in the early church? And then finally, how can I be involved in mission today? So first of all, what is mission all about? During the time of the book of Acts, the church saw explosive growth right around the Mediterranean. So much of the book is devoted to Paul's, what we call his missionary journeys, and others as well. Yet, the word missionary never occurs in the book of Acts. The word mission only occurs once in the whole of the Bible. Acts 12, 25 could be just as easily translated as ministry. It's the word we actually get the English word deacon from. So if it's not a biblical word, why is it important? Why should we be looking at that today? When we read through the whole of the Bible, the theme that comes through is that God is a God of mission. His wish was for the world to be reconciled to him, freed from sin and the tyranny of, uh, of, of sin. Abram, right from Genesis chapter 12, 
And the Israelites were called to live out that message, to be a light to the nations. Jesus came and died to make peace between sinful man and a holy God. Colossians, Paul was to write, and through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. And a missiologist, David Bosch, wrote, mission involves alerting others to the universal reign of God through Christ. In its broadest terms, that is what mission is all about. Alerting others to the universal reign of Christ, of God through Christ. So why is it still an integral part of Christian living? It's God's plan for the world, but have we any part to play? Jesus left his disciples in no doubt at all. His final words to them can be summed up with three excerpts from those passages. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you, from John's Gospel, from Matthew. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And then from Acts, you shall be my witnesses in, Judea, in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So mission is integral to following Jesus. If we want to be obedient to Christ as our Savior, then we would be trying to obey these commandments. One writer has put it that the church's mission is our participation in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the Father's purpose to reconcile everything to himself through the death of his Son. We do this through making disciples by bearing witness to Jesus in word and deed. If this is the case, then we can say that the church of God has a mission, not, sorry, that the God of mission has a church, not that the church of God has a mission, because the church exists by mission as fire exists by burning. Some people might think, is there still a need for mission today? Surely everyone has heard about Jesus Christ let me give you just some statistics to show the situation around the world. August 2018, it was estimated that the world population was 7.56 billion. It's also estimated there's approximately half a billion evangelical Christians. That is approximately 7%. 29% of the world's population has never heard the gospel. There are over 4,000 people groups with no Christian witness whatsoever. 4,000 language groups with no portion of the Bible. Are you able to go on to the next slide, Dave? Thanks, just keep rolling through those. 81% of people from a Muslim, Hindu, or Buddhist background don't know a single Christian. One missionary for every 179,000 Hindus, and the percentage drops as you go through the other major world religions. 
It's been estimated, you'll see that this is an American statistic, that for every $100,000 earned by Christians, $1, that's less than 1%, goes to ministry amongst unreached people groups. In 2019, two, two millennia after Christ's death, that so few people hear the gospel and know the gospel is an indictment on us as Christians, on the church worldwide. But maybe you're thinking, well, Britain isn't in that position. We are so much better informed than the rest of the world. So let's look a little bit at Britain. It's estimated that approximately 5% of people attend church regularly in Britain, down from 11% in, 20, in 1980. In 2017, 97.2% of people aged 16 to 24, in other words, young people, don't attend church. Currently, 33%, 32.9% of churchgoers are 65 and over. And it's projected that this figure will rise to 45% by 2030. 59% of churches have no one in the 20 to 30 age group. When I look at the young people in our church, I'm just how blessed we are, but that is not uniform across the UK. Of young people who do attend church, 57% are in Greater London in the black majority churches. And it's estimated that by 2040, up to 18,000 churches in the UK will close due to low attendances. I've bombarded you with lots of statistics. I trust they just bring home to you that there's still an overwhelming need for mission. That is alerting, alerting people to the universal reign of God in Christ, both in the UK and around the world. However, in light of those statistics, you might be thinking, you're talking about mission impossible, not mission possible. The early church were faced with overwhelming odds in exactly the same way as we are. How did they respond? What did they do? And so the third point, what does mission look like, or what did mission look like in the early church? Antioch was a major city. It's estimated the population may have been about half a million. It's right on the border between Turkey and Syria, right in that zone which is seeing conflict during the past week. It was a Roman colony, a pagan city, but God had plans to plant a church there. And we read in the first verses that uh, Dot read to us how that after the persecution that broke out from Stephen's martyrdom, the believers, as refugees, made their way to Antioch. They'd Persecution left them with no option. They had to leave Jerusalem with nothing. How did they respond? Were they mad at God for allowing the persecution? Were they depressed? Were they fearful and so kept quiet and silent? No, we read that they bore witness to Christ wherever they went. Absolutely everyone was involved. There were no exceptions. No one said, I don't have the gift of evangelism, so I'll keep quiet. 
We don't read that they organized events to try and get people to come to hear them, but they just spoke up to the people that God brought across their paths. Their love for Jesus and the people they came into contact with was so strong that they didn't allow these difficult circumstances to silence them. Writing in 1979, Canon Michael Green said, this is where we differ so enormously from the early church, where every man and woman saw it as their task to bear witness to Jesus Christ by every means at his or her disposal. We don't face persecution in this country, yet so often we fail to speak up for Jesus for fear of embarrassment, ridicule, being singled out, being thought odd and different. God's plan is that all people come to know him. And the plan is that they will hear that through us. What a privilege that God has left with us, but also what a responsibility. You stop and think about the lengths that some immigrants will go to to try and get into the USA or to Britain. They will hang on to the bottom of lorries, trains, go into the sea and on seaworthy boats. And they do this either because of persecution or for what they perceive will be a better lifestyle. They take those risks. What risks are we prepared to take to share the gospel? In the verses earlier, we noted that we're commanded to go and make disciples. Go involves a change of location. It may be to the neighbor next door, it may be to the person at the next desk, it may be to the person in the next workstation, but it will involve a change of location. In Acts, we read, you shall be my witnesses, not if you think it's a good idea or if you feel like it. The believers in Antioch spoke up for Jesus to everyone who crossed their paths. How did they do it? Well, they used words. We read in verse 20, telling them the good news about Jesus Christ, about the Lord Jesus. And that's still the central message. Salvation is available only through faith alone, in Christ alone. And if we miss that, then it's not the gospel that we're spreading. Leslie Newbegin said, all stumbling blocks must go except one, the cross. Mission must involve verbal proclamation. Social action, good lifestyle are all very important, but they're not a substitute for intentionally speaking out the truth of the gospel. A quote you may have heard that's attributed to St. Francis of Assisi is, preach the gospel at all times, use words if necessary. Firstly, there's no evidence that St. Francis even said such a phrase. And secondly, his biographer wrote, his words were neither hollow nor ridiculous, but filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, penetrating the marrow of the heart so that listeners were turned to great amazement. Francis didn't use that uh, option in his lifestyle, but he spoke to people about Jesus. 
And another writer has said, it's simply impossible to preach the gospel without words. The gospel is inherently verbal, and preaching the gospel is inherently verbal behavior. Paul, writing to the Romans, in chapter 10, verse 14, says, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how shall they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? The word that's translated for preaching means to publish or to proclaim openly. It doesn't mean necessarily standing on a pulpit like this. Of course, our lives must be consistent with what we say. Nothing discredits the gospel more than a hypocritical lifestyle. But thinking that a verbal explanation of the gospel is unnecessary is actually a cop-out. I've heard the expression, sometimes silence in such circumstances is not golden, it's plain yellow. And I apply that to myself as well as anyone else. So thirdly, mission in the early church. The young believers took risks for the gospel. Not that they took risks with the gospel, because they still preached the essential news about Jesus' death and resurrection for our sins, but they broke with tradition as they moved out from sharing the gospel with Jews only to sharing with the Greeks or the Gentiles. Presumably after news of Peter's encounter with Cornelius began to filter through. It's hard for us to get inside their heads and realize the barriers they had to cross, the traditional barriers to move outside this Jewish bubble that they had grown up in. Their culture upbringing wouldn't have allowed them to even eat a meal or go into the home of a Jew, of a non-Jew. But yet here they were, sharing the good news of Jesus because the Spirit was moving in their hearts. They began to see the world through the eyes of Jesus, which gave them a different perspective. They were prepared to take the risk of rejection by people they were going to, the risk of misunderstanding of the other, Jewish belie- uh, other Jews, the risk of losing their families, of losing their cultural identity, and heritage, all became of no consequence simply because of their obedience to Christ. And I find their risk-taking so challenging. I'm giving you a lot of quotes this morning, but another one from two writers, uh, Michael Frost and Alan Hirsch. They say, mission propels us out of self-concern to other concern, from holy huddle to venturing out into God's world. And then, every believer who takes seriously their vocation as a disciple of Jesus will see themselves as a sent one. That's basically what the word missionary means, a sent one, where they find themselves and will look to be mobilized into action in that place where God has placed them. Being missional means doing mission right where you are. If we time to look at the rest of the verses in chapter 11, we'd see how God blessed this young church. Barnabas was sent to check out if what was going on was from the Lord. He liked what he saw, but realized that the young disciples needed, or the young believers needed discipling. And so he went to Tarsus, got Paul, brought him back, 
and they discipled these young believers. They grew in their faith, they gave to the needs of others, and demonstrated Christ by their works and lives. So much so that we read that it was in Antioch that they were first known, given the nickname of Christian. And this lifestyle of radical evangelism, where God had placed them, sets the foundation for the scene that we moved on to in chapter 13. The church leaders, five of them are enlisted, met to worship and fast. And they were spending concentrated time praying, praising God, and worshiping, waiting for him to speak to them. God didn't disappoint, because what he said was that he wanted them to separate off two of their leaders, Barnabas and Saul, and send them out into cross-cultural mission. You see, the foundation of local evangelism led to a vision for their world. Two things, at least, are worth noting from these verses. First of all, the church did the sending. The response to cross-cultural mission resending today is very often individualistic. A person or a couple will feel that God is leading them and they will either apply to a mission agency or speak to the church leadership and inform them of what they think God is saying. That wasn't what happened here. Here it was the church leadership who identified two of their own and commissioned them to go into mission. Would it be a better model if that was what happened today? Certainly we're each responsible for our own actions and our own attitudes and how we are listening to what God is saying to us. But we are part of God's family. We are part of God's church. And the church does have a role in challenging to mission. Secondly, the church in Antioch, this young church, sent their best people. Two out of five of their leaders. So I think about this church, there's some people come to mind that I think the church would just fall apart if they weren't in the church. I'm sure you're thinking of various people at the same time. We won't embarrass anyone by mentioning them by name. That wasn't the attitude of this church. They sent two out of five of their leaders. They released them and committed them. Such was their commitment to seeing mission happen. So how can I be involved in mission today? The DNA of this church in Antioch was mission, local and global. And every person knew that they had a role to play. They were all called to be witnesses. Everyone was involved. They talked about Jesus to whoever God brought across their path. They took risks in who they spoke to. And the church leadership were intentional in sending their best people. Do you think I've never received a call to missionary service? I believe that's one of the delusions the devil uses to blind Christians from our responsibility. I've heard it said, if you want to know what a missionary looks like, look in the mirror. Wherever you are, whatever you do, we are called to speak up for Jesus. 
You and I have a mission field on our doorstep. Family, neighbors, work colleagues. For some, it might mean a total change of geography and location and profession even. But for most of us, it means waking up to the responsibility that we have to those God brings into our paths, where we already are. 